sit back, relax, and let's start the motherfucking beat. Get this message out here. I'm doing what I love to help a community out. Like, yeah, you know I mean, what is the next step? What's the one thing I can do today? That's going to get us one. So, I mean, I don't know what's what's in the future. Art is the only way you can reach out to the future. It is the only thing that actually lives through a time capsule. And I think that if the DIY scene as a whole put more of a value on itself, it could be a lot more sustainable. Now, if someone doesn't like it, that's their deal. And uh, let me get a just a check from you real quick. I want to make sure we're okay on your end. Check, check. Get yep. real pissed off and I start... Talking in a loud voice. <laughs> it's working. It's good? Okay. It's good. The tea is good. Thank okay. you okay. so sure. much. Thank you for being the host of the podcast, at least the home home host. Oh, yeah. My pleasure. Thanks for coming to uh, coming to my abode, the Spaghetti Warehouse, as it's known by like the 10 people who've been to shows here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. So you do some shows here? Um, well, the days are... Numbered. Numbered. Um, <laughs> we were doing gigs in the vacant houses next door to here. My oh, landlord cool. owns them and the electricity's on. So we've been taking advantage of that and the way we're tucked away here. Um, so, but now I think we'll probably be able to get away with them, but only in our little basement, which Fair isn't enough. quite the same. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the beauty of house shows. Anytime I see a house venue pop up, I try to go to any show because I know it might be the last time I can see a show <laughs> at that space. No and doubt. a lot of them pop up in Pittsburgh. My, I think the last five gigs that I played in Pittsburgh were house shows. Um, and that's not always the case. It's just a strange coincidence, five in a row. Yeah. Do you think that that is something that, I mean, we haven't got into like what you do musically yet for anybody that doesn't know you. We haven't even told anybody who you are, but we'll get there. <laughs> we'll get there. I like to, you know, feed people a little bait to keep them listening. <laughs> but the kind of stuff that you do, I've checked it out and it's out there. It's wild in a, in a good way, you know, but it's also very intimate. You know, it's not something that I would necessarily want to see on like a big stage. So do you prefer intimate settings for performing music? It's built for house shows. It was built. I, I got the whole premise for this when I was living in Bloomington, Indiana. It's a terrible city. Playing in a grindcore band. Well, terrible state. Um, Which, by the way, when I was listening through your podcast, uh, you had like one of those songs that you put on the podcast you said it had never been like released or anything before oh yeah and that song was fucking awesome <laughs> i love shit like that i was like this is fucking intense basilica is an amazing band uh and i mean there's still the possibility something could happen uh a couple of the pe folks just sort of uh took a hiatus on it and without them the project stays on hiatus but i was playing in that band and really dig in grindcore. I mean, that was my real introduction to heavy music. I mean, other than just a pedestrian knowledge, you know, sure. I was into everything and everything. But I was living in southern Indiana, and so there was like Bloomington for a long time was a, the folk punk capital of the world, which maybe some people cringe when they hear that. But at the time, <laughs> it was happening. You know, it was really cool, enough, yeah. and all people were filtering through town. And then I was also they would have legit old time, you know, bluegrass square dances. 
and that was where I heard fiddlers stomping their feet on the floor and just had some of the best times of my life at those square dances. And so that sound of the stomping on the floor of the house, that, um, yeah, that's, that's where it all came from. That's awesome. And I think this would be a good time for me to do my introduction. Do it. Hello and welcome to Start the Beat with Sykes. My name is Sykes and this is my podcast. Just want to take a quick moment to thank everyone for checking out last week's episode. If you're one of the people who listened to that conversation, I hope you enjoyed it. And thanks so much for coming back. But for those of you out there who are new to the show, welcome. Please feel free to make yourselves at home. And as always... There's beer and soda in the fridge. But today, I am at my guest's house and I am drinking a tea. But that's okay, because you know what? I'm gonna let everybody know. I'm trying to take a break from drinking beer all the time. I've been gaining weight. I'm having a hard time performing. I'm feeling like crap when I wake up. Gotta take a, you know, gotta gotta scale it back. Take care of myself. I'm not getting any younger, <laughs> you know? And anyways, but we're not here to talk about my problems. We're here to talk about you, my guest, who we have uh, hinted that you know he is a musician. They have a podcast, and used to play in a grindcore band in Indiana, and a lot more things. Introduce yourself. <laughs> uh, hey, I'm Joey Molinero, uh, touring musician, uh, professional violinist, music teacher, and uh, showgoer. DIYer. Yeah, yeah, just like everyone else. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things. Uh, I don't know. I'm almost tired of calling myself DIY just because I've been saying it for so long. I mean, I am, but it's just, I don't know. You, you, does that make any sense to you? I mean, it does because like when you're around DIY, people are like, oh God, a DIY. But then you talk to someone else and they're like, so does your label print your CDs? And you're like, you have, you'd have no concept of like, you know what I mean? <laughs> like there, there aren't labels. I'm not trying to get signed. Most people they haven't caught on that the music industry is dead. You know, it's like Detroit out there. There's just nothing there. And so, yeah, that's why we do what we do. Yeah, definitely. If you're talking... Uh, not even like even underneath like radio stuff, just any big major label stuff. Uh, I don't know. It's a lot different. It's definitely not about the music. It's a lot more. It's all, it's all branding and marketing and what can you sell and what, what numbers do you have and how many views do you have on your YouTube video? Oh, okay. That makes you a good band. I'm getting really fed up with that shit. I have uh, my bass player in my band. Uh, shout outs to Colt. I'm going to call you out on some shit right now. Um, it's not really calling him out because, I mean, I've told him about this before. But, you know, we have a, you know, we'll be sharing videos with each other. We come across bands and things like that. And sometimes there's like something bad that we come across and we share it. We're like, you know, what the <laughs> hell is this? And he's always the person, the first thing out of his mouth would be like, 42 million views. What the fuck? And I'm just like, dude, they paid for him. Uh, All uh -huh. that shit's like fabricated, yeah. man. Like you can't like, don't let those numbers be your basis. But that's the way a lot of people are in that side. Like the people that aren't behind the curtain. Well, I mean, I, it's, it's a funny thing where I do know some people who are of that mindset of, of still making it. I mean, we grew up that way, or at least I grew up that way where, you know, you'd hear alternative rock bands, you'd be like, oh, they made it. Or you're like local bands, you'd be like, they got signed, you know? And so there's a part of you that, that sort of, uh, there's, for many people, there's a part of you that feels that way. But even when you do all the numbers with DIY, if you get 
done with a tour and you've got an extra 200 bucks in the bank, you're stoked. But if you're trying to make it in the music industry, you might invest $10,000 into what you do and get nothing back. Uh, totally. Uh, a our friend's band, we're actually, we're playing, uh, we're doing like a little weekend run through Michigan starting tomorrow through Sunday. And uh, our friend's band that we're touring with, I don't think any of them will listen to this, but I'm not really, I'm calling out a lot of people, <laughs> I guess. But uh, they're doing a thing now where they're trying to like raise 10 grand to get their album done. And we're like, kind of like, you know, talking to each other, like for what? Mm. Like, I don't know. We, you know, we paid a few hundred bucks to record our drums in a studio and we're doing the rest of the shit ourselves. We just don't have enough drum mics to, it would cost more money for us to buy the drum mics and the time like learning how to record them than it is just to pay somebody that's knowledgeable to do sure, it. Yeah. But it's, I guess that's the thing is like, we're still of that mentality and I guess it's easier for some other people that maybe don't have the time or don't want to, to just be like, Hey, you know, you can just pay a shit ton of money to other people to do things for you. And then, I don't know. I guess in a way it's still, I don't know. But what it, is that DIY or not? Because they're still not signed. Sure. I mean, everyone, everyone <laughs> that, DIYs where, like, the, the fine same line way. Is. I mean, everyone DIYs their own way. That's why it's DIY, you know. I mean, I've raised money on Kickstarter and I've, you know, passed hats and I've, you know, auctioned off artifacts on stage. Like I've done crazy stuff to get by with money you know there's a lot of people are you know you don't want to talk about money you want to pretend like money's bad but um I if you're on a long tour the numbers have to work oh, out that's the one thing that like over you know the past few years that i really regret from my kind of like punk upbringing was that like stigma of money like yeah. i wish i would have had a different mindset a lot younger i feel like i'd be in a much better off place because i had the hunger and the drive and the time but I was just doing stupid things like, you know, like, oh, I'm just going to give everything away. And mm. I mean, that's cool. But at the same time, I wasn't doing myself any favors. Yeah. So I don't know. You don't want to be selfish, but you got to, you know, take care of yourself and your art and make it worth something. I feel like if you don't put a value on your art, like how are other people supposed to value it? Yeah, definitely. It's, uh, I don't know, a weird thing. So... Let's do some origin shit, right? So you're in, I'm sure there's more stuff before playing in a grindcore band in Indiana, which we don't got to get into, but we can go post grindcore band in Indiana because <laughs> right now you are not in a grindcore band not and you are not band. in Indiana. You are in Pittsburgh. Indeed. Um, you know, I just listened to a podcast series that you put out, which was, what's the name of the podcast series? It's called Tightrope. That's it. Okay. Do you want to, well, we'll get into that, but before that, uh, there's just a whole mess of things that have happened in between. The one thing that I'm really curious about is the teacher thing. Mm. Where did that origins of that come from? And how was that? Uh, I don't know. Just like, has it affected your music and the way you promote or do things at all? Yeah. Uh, well, my, my dad's a violinist and a professional musician and a music teacher. So, uh, yeah, it's always been in mind. It's always been, part of my, my imagination for myself. And in the end, it hasn't conflicted as much as I thought it would. You know, when I was younger, uh, you know, I went to school for music and for education. And, you know, people treat those like they're mutually exclusive. And I was in a grindcore band all while I was a, a public school music teacher. Oh, really? Directed orchestras. 
and uh, taught kids guitar and just all, all, you know, all sorts of musical stuff. Uh, and I left Indiana and I've, I've continued to teach. Uh, I mean, after Indiana, I moved to New York and then I realized it was like city, New York city, but I wasn't, I wasn't making it. And I realized I could make it easier on tour. So I just went on tour for a couple of years. It was easier than living <laughs> in New York city. You know, I mean, it was crazy. It was chaos. And, 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 and I, uh, by the same token, I learned to hustle. I learned all this DIY, like all the numbers stuff, which was like not trying to make money, but just survive. Totally. And I, I think, uh, well, anyhow, I came back to Pittsburgh, started teaching part-time. And there are times as a performer, I feel like I've learned a lot as a teacher because, you know, pe- Americans especially, I'm not going to try not to get into this whole Americans, this Americans, that, because I mostly tour Europe these days. But even then... Sometimes as a performer, you've got to trick a room full of, you know, squirrely people into listening to you. It's the same thing as being a kindergarten teacher. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> we, we have very, very bad attention spans here. <laughs> yeah. So, I've, like, I learned a lot of performative tricks as a teacher that helped me as a performer. Oh, like what? Getting real quiet. If you get real quiet, then all of a sudden everyone can hear the sound of their own voice and they realize everyone else can. And they realize that they're being assholes and they'll, uh, <laughs> and they'll listen a little bit. So... Um, so I do a lot of that. I do a lot of, of, uh, getting up and walking around. Like I'll, I'll either unplug my violin or get a long cable and take a a quick break. And, and if people, if people don't know where you're going to be, they're a lot more likely to pay attention to you. I do a lot of that, a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, you know, lighting, smells, temperature, um, yeah, just, uh, my placement in the room, the set order, the set length. A lot of that stuff is informed by my experience as a teacher. That's super, super cool. Now, as a has anything like like flipped? Like has anything uh, uh, as a have you been able to take anything as a musician like from performing and bring it into the classroom? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I, I guess I haven't thought about that as much, but. Do you and, ever like talk about like touring in your experiences or do you try to keep it separate? <laughs> I mean, that's the, that's the thing about Pittsburgh. You know, I was a teacher out in Indiana and I just, I mean, I have nothing in common with anyone I taught or their parents. And, and even in the music scenes out there, I have good friends. Some of them come through town every now and then. Uh, but you know, it's a minority of the population as a teacher. I just, you know, I would never, I told at most I would tell I would confide in some of the younger hipper teachers that I play in a rock and roll band. You know, it's like I play okay. experimental grindcore and so I like def- organize you- performance art shows with like, yeah. you know, far out stuff. But if I say I play rock and roll sometimes, then they could kind of be cool with it. But now where I'm at in Pittsburgh, even people that aren't especially savvy, uh, if I tell them I'm a touring musician, they're, they think it's really cool. I talk about it in the classroom. Yeah. That's super cool. Do you have any uh, students who are looking to get into like being a like full time touring musician? Or <laughs> all they, of them because yeah. I teach young children. That's that's where they're at. <laughs> all of them. They're all gonna ride unicorns, and <laughs> no, they've got they've got no idea. We just we just do ridiculous so, stuff. So like, okay, let's let's go. Let's rewind this even more then. So it's like when you were that age. Where were you at mentally? Were you, I mean, you said your dad was a musician, so you had, you grew up around it, I'm yeah. guessing. Were you playing when you were that age? Yeah. I always knew I was going to be a musician. 
I think there was like like a weird six months time span. I want to be an English teacher, but the rest of that, yeah, my whole life I knew I was going to be a musician. And then you just did it. Simple enough. <sighs> kind of. I mean, I it's, mean. <laughs> it seems like if you, from the limited knowledge that I have, it seems like anytime you've hit a some sort of a roadblock bo- with like maybe your location or something, you've kind of just picked up and decided to try something else rather than letting it plateau or fizzle out. You know, th- it seems like you're not necessarily like a, eh, well, fuck it, it didn't work out type of person. It seems like, well, I'm just going to keep doing this, but, you know, I need to try this somewhere else or, you know, do something a little differently. I mean, I'm, I'm not really good at anything else. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, it's like, yeah, totally. and I'm not even that good at music, but, uh, like, I, I don't, I mean, uh, whatever talent is or isn't, um, this is my best shot. So yeah, that's what, that's what I do. Mm-hmm. I suck at making food, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. No, I tried. Yeah. I really suck at well, it. Like, okay, I, so- I, I, my own food. Yeah. I'm pretty good. Other people's food. I don't care. Just eat it. <laughs> like, like, uh, wait, like, so you suck at making your own food or you suck at making food for other people? I suck at making food for other people. I mean, that's just the only, like the do only you- other example of like work that I have. <laughs> so do you think that that is a, uh, like a, maybe you just have like low standards for what you eat <laughs> or is it like a thing of just like you like maybe weird shit or I mean that like- too. I, I mean, I'm just, I'm just saying that like, I mean, I grew up on a farm. I suck at farm work. I worked in food <laughs> service. I suck at food service work and like, you know, you know, I can't think offhand of any other work that I've done or tried to do, you know, like, like crime. I'm not very good at crime. You know, there's not much else that I've tried. And so <laughs> it's, it's, it's music. Music's the safe, uh, the safest bet. So what's like your safe bet if you are cooking for yourself? If I'm cooking for my, I just, I don't have a safe bet with cooking. I just, I open the fridge and I see what I have. And, you know, we do a, a lot of dumpster diving here and like always have roommates that work at some weird food place. Yeah. So we've always got a surplus of something or another and i've just been cooking long enough uh, just kind of throw things together it's funny that we're even talking about this but the fact is f- from cooking for touring musicians especially um because i insist on cooking for every touring musician who comes through town <laughs> after going on tour in europe you can't not you just you have you know you have to feed them yeah Jesus totally people feed your touring musicians give them a place to sleep i'm sorry i'm not going to go on a rant here just, why do you book someone from out of town you know they don't have a place to sleep Find a place for them to sleep. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I, I you know I can't offer them copious amounts of money, so I cook for them. And it's funny when bands come through town. Sometimes they're like, "Oh yeah, we've heard about your cooking." <laughs> really? <laughs> I don't really have a skill for this, but what have they heard? I'm just exactly curious what I said is yeah. that like I don't follow recipes and the you, food you always just go is wild. weird. I just go with what I have, and <laughs> I haven't poisoned anyone yet. So that's fucking awesome. <laughs> I love that story. What kind of like food are you into just generally like say you're out and about or you know like let's get to know you outside <laughs> of the musician i'm sure there isn't much i'm not i don't mean that in a bad way but you've made me believe that there isn't much but i'm just curious i mean i live in lower lawrenceville you know what some would call like the foodie capital of the friggin' world Jeez, what people say about restaurants here i never eat out ever yeah <laughs> like i eat maybe like rock room tacos twice a year <laughs> and like apteca twice a year and honest to god that's about it 
Um, so I'm, I'm not picky. I just, uh, I'm cheap and I just don't get into the whole restaurant experience. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, you know, a couple spacks here and there and otherwise, yeah. Just keep it, uh, just whatever. You don't really concern yourself too much with it. I got it. <laughs> That's cool. I need to get more like that. I, whenever I, I'm the type of person I can get into anything. It doesn't matter what it is, but once I get into it, I'm like, I want to know everything about it. I'm just like a very curious person. <laughs> so, you know, like the second I go try some restaurant in Pittsburgh, I'm like, wow, this was great. What else is there? Yeah. And then, you know, then there's like this like two month period where like I'm going out maybe too much. And then it's like, why did I do that? Like this is all this money, all this time, you know, it's just kind of like a waste. I try to like, I mean, I enjoy the experience, but I also beat myself up if I'm doing anything that's not sitting in my studio working on stuff. Mm -hmm. But that's like a personal problem. But then on the other hand, you spend all your time in the studio working by yourself and thinking about what a waste it is that you don't go to all the interesting things this town has to offer because I do a lot of that. Oh, yeah? (laughs) Oh, yeah. I'm always... uh, What's what's, one Pittsburgh thing that you maybe haven't done in a while or have never done that you're just like... Man, like I'm missing out on this. Oh, uh, I mean, I mean, honestly, I th- I feel like restaurants could be one thing. Um, see, I mean, I grew up nearby, so I've been doing I've been doing a lot of Pittsburgh things. Uh, let me think of a good one because there's a there are plenty of examples. <laughs> you know, I actually grew up not I grew up kind of equidistant from here in McConnell's Mills. Okay, and uh, for some reason, you know, for some reason, my mom has this thing like. Never go to McConnell's Mills. You will die. You can't go because you'll die. <laughs> and so I grew. I never went to McConnell's Mills growing up. And all my friends talk about how it's their favorite place to go. Never been to McConnell's Mills. Oh, you should go. <laughs> it is sick up there. Yeah, it's not that far. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I find myself a lot of the time uh, overlooking places that are close to me because I'm always going somewhere, you know, out of town or out of state or whatever, you know, and. I neglect the things that are in the city because I'm so used to them being here, you know, places that I will pass, you know, every day or every week. Uh, we were, was, I was in, uh, Queens like a weekend or two ago and I was at a brewery out there and I was talking with their head of finance about, I like help run this metal beer festival that we have here. Oh yeah. Child bike came through. Yeah, Yeah. 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 Um, and I was talking with them because I want to get them to come down for the the big event next year. And uh, she was asking me about Pittsburgh and all these things. It was like asking me about the Warhol. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's here. I pass it every day, but I just completely <laughs> take for granted because it's a it's a cool place. But I haven't been there in years. And I, you know, I neglect it, that it's this thing that people from all over really, you know, that's one of the things people come here for. Yeah. I have a buddy that works in the gift shop there and he's always talking about like when bands are coming through all the famous musicians that come in there and buy shit. Like mm-hmm. it's a place that it's a destination yeah. and I pass it every day. Like, Oh yeah, I'm just so used to seeing it. When I started doing, uh, after my most recent European tour, I, there were a few days where I didn't have a place to sleep. So I used couchsurfing.com, which isn't as popular in the U S but in Europe, it's a real community. You know, people really, when they travel, that's what they do. They do couch surfing, everything. And so I, I kept a profile and people started hitting me up to stay here. And I, I'd never really thought about how there's, 
there are so few tourist destinations. This is such an untouristy city as much as I love it. And that's probably why I love it. But when people do come through, yeah, fairly often the Warhol's on their short list. I don't like Andy Warhol, so that's no big deal for me. Uh-huh. So I, I always loan them my uh, I always loan them my food stamp card so they can get in for a dollar. What's your uh, What's your thing with Andy Warhol? Because I'm not like necessarily a fan, but <laughs> uh-huh. I'm not also like I don't like him. Mm-hmm. I'm like very indifferent with him. Like uh, his art. Is whatever to me. I'm kind of yeah. It exists. I mm-hmm. appreciate it that he did a lot of things and it seemed like he worked all the fucking time and that's cool, mm-hmm. relatable. And then sometimes I read quotes from him and I'm like, wow, that's a really great quote. And then there's another quote and I'm like, wow, that's really shitty. Yeah, <laughs> and it's just like this mixed bag of like just like this weird human. But it totally makes sense because even his work is so scattered and his thoughts are so scattered. It's just like a an interesting person. I don't know how I feel about him. Yeah. What what what's your opinion? I mean, nothing really stands out except I feel I feel like it's it's like a really easy segue for. Uh, just over glamorizing capitalist consumerism, and uh, you know, yeah, just at face value, there's. I just think a lot of like, yay, like consumer pop can be fun. It can be art too, and I just, um, I mean, there are ways, there are things that are maybe liberating about that, but there's a lot about that. I maybe as a music teacher, in particular, I see. I see ways that people have spun, uh, even in public school settings, have have gotten you know everything Disneyfied and everything uh, in this language that's about uh, that's driven by pop culture, driven by television. I mean, it was, it was crazy. I was actually just yesterday I was substitute teaching at the one school I teach at, the Waldorf school, and they have a rule there. I didn't even know about this until kid came up to tattle and I was like, dude, snitches get stitches. But still <laughs> he came up to tattle and he was like, Jason's doing TV talk. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, he's talking about a TV show. They're not allowed to do that at this school. And huh. I was like, whoa. Cause like back when I was a public school teacher, it was the only way to get through to the kids. That was the only thing they would listen totally. to. That was the only way I made friends. Yeah. And, and that's how like public, I don't know, public schools. Uh, I, I feel like, Artists like Andy Warhol, even as no, it's not his fault. Like that, his aesthetic and his ideas have enabled businesses or other, you know, other people to exploit children in this way or to exploit, um, you know, art enthusiasts in this way. Oh, sure. Yeah. It like sets a really unrealistic standard for what art is and what art should be. You know, you have, there's, like maybe like a half dozen, if not more art galleries in the cultural district right across the bridge from the Andy Warhol Museum. Mm-hmm. What percentage of people do you think that come to Pittsburgh to go to the Andy Warhol Museum, check out any of those other places? Yeah, it's true. It's probably really small, you know, and a lot of the people that come into Pittsburgh, you know, bands on tour, artists or whatever, people that live here, a lot of us probably can't even afford to take something home from the gift shop there. <laughs> no doubt. And it's just so silly. I mean, the number one place I direct visitors from out of town uh, is the button. Like the first place I, I tell them to go or the first place I take them. It, we just take some beer out and chill out at the button. And that's, uh, yeah, that's probably, that's 
that's number one for me. I feel like you'll get a pretty good, pretty good view of the city that way. Yeah, I always have like a really hard time telling my friends that come into town like what to do or where to go. Mm-hmm. But then also I like always, you know, again the uh, like the fucking overlook is something that I take for granted. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. See it, but like, pe- it really blows people's minds seeing you know like wow look industry <laughs> and people are like wow it's so cool yeah but it's a very unique looking city i just you know take it for granted yeah i mean i'm not here by accident i grew up nearby and i moved away you know i got yeah. out you know and it, i toured the country coast to coast for years and you know could have chosen anywhere but this is where i wanted how to be do you, how do you feel about uh people i guess we could say mu- not just musicians but people in general that have that wonderlust sort of thing. And uh, it happens a lot with musicians here. Like, it's not going to happen here. And I mean, it's like, yeah, that's true, but you don't have to live in New York or Chicago or California to be a touring musician. You just got to get off your ass and go. Oh, I mean... I mean, you probably know that better than anybody. Yeah, and it's also... I mean, I couldn't... As much as I love Pittsburgh... I, I just, I know if I just, if I didn't bust out for a couple months a year, I would just get really claustrophobic and it's not a shortcoming of Pittsburgh. It's just, that's not what the city's built for. You know, you got to get out and, and travel a little bit and then come back. You know how, I mean, what do you think is, we'll get into some band politics, you know, uh, what do you think is one of the biggest problems in DIY? Like what, uh, just my, my personal opinion is basically that a lot of the people that don't utilize their resources here and also don't want to take the extra step to go, you know, uh, to get, to get further, you know, uh, don't want to charge that extra dollar or two for a show or don't want to charge an extra dollar or two for their shirt, Mm -hmm. but then also will simultaneously complain about how they don't have enough money to get the van or to do this or that. Yeah. And you know, that, that DIY mentality or that punk mentality, whatever you want to call it seems to hold some people back. And that's my biggest problem with it. Mm -hmm. What about you? What do you, what would you, how would you critique? I mean, for me, I just, I don't like how people treat each other. You know, yeah, I, I guess that's important I think too. People, yeah. Uh, yeah, there's there's so much negativity, and uh, uh, yeah, I mean, just just it seems kind of clicky at times, which is like like silly, but yeah, that too. But it's it's not. I, I feel like it's not even. It, it's it's beyond a click, and and sometimes it's it really just it's just about pain, just people who are hurting and hurt other people. And sometimes it's just about can you know convenience or you know the the things that people say so casually here, you know, I've been at gigs before, and I hear friends who I know to be I know that they're talking about a friend of theirs, maybe I've seen them talking online or I've heard that they've toured together or something and and then I hear like hear the guy be like, "Oh yeah, him, yeah, fuck that guy and I, and as the conversation <laughs> goes on, it's like wait, you said fuck that guy because like they wanted to set up on the stage while you were tearing down in front of the stage. Like really, you're going to say fuck that guy and drag his name for the, through the mud for that. Like, uh-huh. like I, it's just, it, 
honestly, just if you were just even polite, like not even to bring politics into it, you know, not even to be, you know, like DIY politics, just be nice, everybody. Yeah, <laughs> more, yeah, definitely. I, I preach that a lot, you know, just being a good person. I, you know, I try even really hard at times if somebody is being shitty to me or whatever, I'm always nice. I'm never like, fuck you too. It's more like, Mm -hmm. Hey, what's going on? (laughs) What's the problem? Yeah. You know? And, but some people just want to be negative. They want to be in that uh, little, little bubble of frustration and just kind of got to let those people go over there. Mm-hmm. I mean, not saying I don't ever talk shit on people. I mean, everybody, everybody's kind of guilty of that from time to time, but you know, I definitely try my best to be a good person and I want to surround myself with good people and create a healthy environment, you know, supporting each other, that, that DIY mantra type thing. You know? For sure. But a lot of people just, uh, I don't know. It's easy to be selfish, unfortunately. Oh yeah. For some people. Yeah. Selfish. Solo act. (laughs) (laughs) This is another thing I wanted to get into. Uh Um, You know, how long have you been playing? So, well, I guess, how long has it been since you've played in a band? I start two bands a year (laughs) and they don't go anywhere. Fair enough. Fair enough. And I I mean, thank God I've got this violin project that I just, it's going like it's satisfied. It's like, doesn't satisfy everything that I want to do musically. Um, but yeah, I've just, for some reason, uh, just can't, can't really get it together with a band and I'm not really sweating it. You know, if I can keep going back to the solo thing, and won't have to compromise or, you know. Sure. Well, what do you think that that, that is sort of uh, offering some advice to maybe anybody listening who's like looking to start a band or is also having a hard time getting a band off the ground? Like what do you – are there any common hurdles that you come across? I mean you don't want my advice because I've failed with all these <laughs> bands, you know. So uh, – and, and common hurdles, it's hard to say because a lot of it has to do with uh, – I don't know, just, just – I'm I'm a un, I'm a unique musician, you know. I've, I'm. Uh, it's so maybe like you don't like gel well musically with some people. That's a little bit of it. Doesn't yeah. feel right, or maybe sometimes it could be like a scheduling thing, or sometimes like you get to know somebody and like you decide like oh maybe this isn't like the type of like energy or person I want to be around or create yeah. art with. Well, I th- I think that one of the biggest problems for me is because, um, you know, because I have so much experience with touring and recording and releasing and playing shows and all this stuff. Whenever my band starts to get, whenever this band starts to come together in my mind, I usually have some dates in mind for like (laughs) when we will tour, when we will release something. And I probably have like a few songs written that we could start working on. And every single time the leader, yeah, yes and no. I mean, the idea is like, you know, let's get this thing up and running and you know the, the go-getter yeah the sooner yeah. we get some songs together the sooner we can get out there and then we can like work on our songs together totally i've just uh i just don't have the the time uh and i don't it's never appealed to me to like you know tinker around in a basement and see if ha- something happens or if it doesn't so totally totally you know i am on the same page i mean i have no interest in starting any bands but mm-hmm. I do a lot of just like one-off collaborations with people just for fun. Just I like working with different musicians and different styles just because I think it 
keeps keeps my brain working differently. It's like working with the same four people over and over and over again. You know, you don't want it to you don't want to get stale. You know, so it's fun to try different things. Mm. But uh, sometimes, you know, I will link up with people, and it just you know it just seems that they're very. We just have a different workflow. You know, I'm very much like a like you, like. You know, I don't have time to mess around kind of thing. Like, I got this idea. Like, what do you got? And, like, maybe sometimes to my to my fault, like, if they don't have something right away, like, if they're not working at my speed, mm-hmm. I'm like, ah, like, I get discouraged real quickly. Yeah. I need to have, like, it requires a lot of patience to work with other people, but I don't feel that I always have the time to be patient because yeah. I'm doing a thousand things in a day. Yeah, I mean, I also, I always prefer that, that there be uh, communication about our choices musically, which is not to say that you know, I don't care at all if anyone can read music. I don't care if they know what note they're playing. But if we play it, you know, play it version A, version B, I like version A for this reason. You know, I, like, and totally. you, don't, you don't even have to say about the notes. You could say because you like how the, the atmospheric part suddenly dissolves. Yeah. That's great. But I, I feel like a lot of people are really intimidated of addressing their music this way. You know, they're like, well, that's just how I did it. And yeah. And I, it's I can't like, work like, with that. Why? Like, if yeah. you can't explain to me why you're doing something, it's like the song has no, there's no meaning to the song's life. Yeah. You know, I'm very much one structuring songs really into, you know, just like having just different levels of dynamics and building and like, you know, telling a story through a song as cliche as it sounds. Like Mm -hmm. I just think like every song should have a purpose and everything that you're doing should have, there should be a reason for it. Like, Oh, like why is, you know, why are we slowing the song down at this part? You know, why are Mm -hmm. we making it really intense at this part? You know, because you know, it all, we're trying to make a whole, body of work and not just like a, eh, it's whatever. Yeah. I mean, because then you're just probably defaulting to decisions made by music that you used to listen to. Totally. And who knows, you know, who knows what ideas are inside of that. So, yeah, I mean, that's an okay, it's an, uh, to anyone listening, I'm not saying that's a bad way to music, make music. That's not how I make music. Yeah. 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 I mean, do whatever you want to do. And also, (laughs) you know, I try to keep this in check too. You know, it's, I, for me, at the end of the day, this is all about having fun and keeping myself happy and healthy and just something to keep me on a, on a good path of just putting positive art and things into the world, right? So if for somebody else, that energy is them like wanting to be like an Avenged Sevenfold ripoff band, fine. Yeah. <laughs> as long as you're happy and not hurting people and just putting out that same good energy, you know, again, just be a nice person. There's bands that we play with on tour. Like, you know, this like a local band somewhere and it's like, they might not be that good, but if they're nice, I'm like, that band's awesome. Like I'm more concerned with just meeting nice people and not necessarily great bands at this point Mm -hmm. because I don't know what, what is good music? It's for me, it's like subjective, you know? I mean, I guess sometimes there are things that are unquestionably bad, but for the most part, it's all a matter of opinion. And if they're enjoying what they're doing, then more power to them. Fucking do it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's for, for me as um, with my weird music, like you said, 
I play with, and, and and I'm not saying this to brag. This is just circumstance that I think I play with a with a more with more variety of other musicians, with other styles of musicians than just about anyone else I know. Because um, you know I'm playing violin, but it's far out experimental. And so because it's a violin and it's not really necessarily electronic, you know, I can play with folk people, I can play with psychedelic, um, I play metal shows, noise shows, uh, avant-garde jazz, and I, I mostly play like my same songs, the same songs for all of it. But through all of that, I just, I just meet so many fantastic musicians and yeah, I feel the same way. And and there, I mean, actually, this podcast is crazy because I, you know, I had it in mind all the performers that blew my mind. But then I went back through, and I was like, oh, I forgot about that one. I really loved them, and you know, maybe I was just a little stressed that night, and I forgot about it. Are you talking about tightrope? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then and then I was like, I, I started. I, I realized that I, I had room in the podcast for even a few more tunes. So I went to some of the bands that I remember thinking to myself, oh, well, like these guys aren't quite cutting it. And I listened to their tracks. They're awesome too. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's uh -huh. like the common thread between all of that stuff is that like I was just blessed to have met them and shared music with them on tour. Yeah, it seemed like it was just like a really awesome eclectic mix. There wasn't anything that I heard that I didn't dig uh -huh. on that, which I think now it's actually a really great segue to talk about the podcast. And uh, because if anybody's still listening to this 41 minutes in, <laughs> chances are you're in the podcasts. <laughs> so tell them about yours. Uh, well, uh, I think the idea just started, uh, you know, when you're on tour I mean, I guess there are times and situations, and I think because I'm a solo musician, I think my tours are maybe a little bit more unpredictable than other people's tours. Uh, you know, from some bands I talk to, there's like a little bit of a routine. They know they're in the van with the same guys and sleeping on kitchen floors and playing in basements, and which is great, playing in clubs, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I don't, I don't know. I find myself, in, and, and I take a lot of risks too. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. I... Like if I need a gig, I'll, I'll, I'll get a gig and I'll, I'll make something happen for myself or, you know, totally. I've done, I ain't mean to cut you off, yeah, but I mean, I do like hip hop stuff too. Yeah. And I've done solo hip hop tours, like all from like Megabus and yeah. shit like that. And it's like, sometimes it's like your Megabus stop is still like two hours from where the show is. Yeah. So it's like, fuck, I got to make a friend quick or yeah. figure something out, you know? Yeah. And usually it pulls through. It's. Or if you're doing very like kind show promoters, the same thing for like solo hip hop or whatever, where like you could pitch to a cafe yeah, and yeah. it might turn out that that cafe is all Christian and you didn't even realize and you get there and you're like, well, we're going to drop the motherfucking beat. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's like, yeah. and maybe everyone who's there is like, turns out they're all like big time stoner Christians, you know, and they're all gay stoner Christians and they love your music. You know uh -huh. what I mean? It's like, like you take risks like that as a solo artist that you might not be able to take with another project. Cause you're, maybe you're not, you don't, you're not necessarily that loud and because you can sleep anywhere. So yeah, by circumstance of that, I think we ended up with some uh, some crazy music from that podcast. Um, but anyway, so uh, but crazy experiences too. And a lot of times I'm traveling. I'm thinking, man, like 
no one would believe this. Like if I told someone what, like what my day was like every day for the past week, no one would believe me. And so I, I started by just like, while I was like driving to work or whatever, I would just like yammer into my smartphone sound recorder and it sounded like exactly what you expect it would sound like. Just some guy driving through traffic, yammering about something. And so I, I, kind of wrote it out and uh, recorded it and edited the heck out of it. And in the process... The editing was great. I oh, think it, it, it flows really, really well for anybody that is still on the fence about listening to it. It's <laughs> like... No, it's awesome. You know, the episodes aren't super, super long. Um, it's a really, really cool uh, insight into, you know, a different culture of DIY. You get to hear a lot of really, really cool bands from you know, all over the world and hear your stories and insights into, uh, what it's like, you know, touring. And that's, I mean, that's what made me decide to step it up was when I realized that not, not only was I going to share the music from the bands that I met, but I realized that I was going to tell the story with that music. And so, yeah, that was, that's sort of what, uh, what made me decide to take it seriously. It's super, super cool. And people can find it on your band camp. That's right. Yeah. JoeyMolinero.bandcamp.com. For sure. Definitely check that out. So right now, I did have a question before. We're kind of out of this part of the conversation now, but I'll bring it back just because I'm curious. We were talking about, uh, you know, how the music that you listen to can sometimes uh, influence the music that you bring out. It sometimes... I mean, no matter what, you're pulling an influence and it's coming out in your music in some ways. Mm -hmm. um, with you being, you know, more of a unique musician, I'm curious about where and how you pull influences from the outside world into what you do. Uh -huh. I mean, it's funny because when, uh, when I first started making music uh, creatively, it was terrible because anything I was excited about, I would do. And so I was making music that spanned all genres and I would hear some reggae beat somewhere. I'd be like, I can, I can do that. I can make that beat oh, and yeah, I'd yeah. like just mash it up with being some excited other about thing. music. Yeah. Yeah. But it was just, it was disjointed. It didn't make any sense. And, um, so then when I started playing with this grindcore band, I was working with some of the absolute most thoughtful musicians I would ever work with in my life because you know how I was, you know, I was telling you about how I like to be able to say, well, I like version a because of this more so than version B. Yeah. Well, this band, we would have arguments all night long where neither side would back down about like whether it should be an F sharp or a G natural. And, and, and I mean, it was obsessive to a degree that made that music fantastic. Oh, it's very, it, well, I've only heard that one, song that you shared on the podcast but it's mm -hmm. very meticulous you know that's not the type of thing where it's like you know i got this idea for a song it's like no mm -hmm. we're gonna like sit down and build like a 2000 piece puzzle right and it wasn't just complexity for complexity's sake because i mean all of these all of our arguments would go back to you know, aesthetic and politics and philosophy of like, why do we want to propel in like, is, is this violent? What, what does this gesture of violence mean? And like all of these different things would, you know, the intention behind it was so important. And 
And so I developed this language of composition, the way that I write the time signatures and the chords and the different things that I favor it was always just super intentional. And I write everything down. I have, uh, yeah, here, I mean, here's, here's, my, <laughs> this was from my most recent tour. Um, yeah, I mean, you can just flip through that. Oh, awesome. Like I, I notate everything and I still do. But the difference is that this stuff, I totally turn my filter off. Whereas I would have previously composed something and as I was composing, I would be thinking like, oh, but those, those sonorities are like, I've already decided I've chosen like that. This isn't something that I do for this. Like there are moments where I'm like, dude, you just wrote a C major chord. Like, holy hell. You know, <laughs> I'm just like, I liked it. Like, that's what I, like, you know, I got, I just, it's, it's more of a riff based way of writing music now. So, uh, but on the other hand, like that other way of thinking where I used to just ultra analyze everything and politicize all of my musical choices, which I feel like that's kind of, kind of, you know, you're asking like where the, in, like where the influences come out. Like I'm at a point right now where, um, yeah, I'm, I'm letting some of those influences flow through the filter. Like I've opened up the filter a lot more and uh and i'm just as happy well yeah my music right now is a little bit different than what you heard the songs i wrote most recently are a lot more songy a lot more like you know they sound like songs and yeah. not like you know black metal ritualistic <laughs> you know it's, whatever it's wild I, I feel like i'm on like i feel very uh i relate with you on a lot of different <laughs> points you know like uh just kind of when i was starting same thing you know just I put together an album of shit that's just all over the place. Mm -hmm. And for me, I just didn't know anybody else that was doing music at the time. And I wanted to do so many different kinds of music mm -hmm. that I was just trying to do it all. Yeah. But then like eventually ended up meeting other people and like joining a metal band and these things. So I was able to like divide it a bit. You know, I like to keep uh I like to think outside of the box no matter what project I'm in, but sometimes you don't want stuff to bleed over too much you know like mm -hmm. mashed potatoes are great and ice cream's great but you don't want them in the same bowl yeah that kind of thing yeah <laughs> so but then like yeah and then getting into a stage when like i got focused and then the focus gets really crazy and then you start getting like super meticulous about everything that you write and like you're really thinking about like i don't know you analyze things to a point where it's like i don't know i got like my brain was just numb like i don't know like what am i doing like you know, I want to write music for myself, but sometimes you also want to write music that other people can enjoy and that you could share with people. Because a great thing about performing live is when you're able to connect with people. So sometimes if like your music is so personal or so selfish, it could be hard to make that connection. Mm -hmm. So I try to now I'm trying to cross that line of still doing what I want to do, but also trying to put a voice into my music that will be a little bit more accessible so I can bring some more people into it. Mm -hmm. And hopefully from there, you know, they'll dig into the weirder stuff. I mean, the irony is that, I mean, I, I don't have... The, the set that I, that I built my solo music off of was uh, a transcription, a, a transcription from memory, which is to say an incorrect transcription of <laughs> an album called the Inalien inalienable dreamless by discordance axis. Okay. It's just like a, it's a cult favorite grindcore band. Like a yeah, few, yeah. a few people like that album a hell of a lot. And 
so I started doing that, and I realized that as soon as I did, as soon as I started working on the first song the first time, I'm like, I'm going to do this. I'll, like, this is going to be my thing. And I went on the first few tours, you know, kind of thinking I was going to get mistreated and booed and, you know, kind of embarrass myself or whatever. And I don't know why people started eating it up. And it's not because I tried to make it accessible. And in fact, a lot of things I've done since then that I've tried to make more accessible, it's still just kind of like the flat out playing, just like the flat out energy that people can maybe not relate to, but they can get lost in. Totally. Well, I think that, you know, I haven't unfortunately had a chance to see you perform live yet. You know, we're just meeting each other for the first time today. For anybody that missed that, I don't know if I mentioned it or not. Um, but I do think that what you are bringing to the table sometimes, you know, it is, I don't want to say it's it's different, but, it, you know, it's it's maybe unusual for what some people are maybe used to seeing, maybe especially somewhere like Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. you know? So I think that it's, you know, you got people's attention from there just because you're not another, you know, four-piece emo band. Uh-huh. Um, it has a divisive effect in Pittsburgh. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, uh, you know, playing at Rock Room is always a treat to see, like, some people just walking out just being like, nope. And Don't. other people, like, peeking in the bar being like, whoa, dude. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the thing. Everybody's not going to like everything. You know? Yeah. I had a, a very, very wise coworker when I was 16 and I worked at Taco Bell. Mm-hmm. I worked at Taco Bell when I was 16. Nice. Yeah. We're just a lot in common here. <laughs> a lot in common. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was making music at the time, but just kind of starting to get into it and small talk convo with a coworker one day. Just, you know, I was like talking about how I want to, you know, make music that, you know, people like and being worried about playing shows and, you know, nobody's going to like it type of thing. And he was just like, listen, dude, there's people that don't like the Beatles. <laughs> and I was yeah. just like, you have a good point, Antonio. <laughs> and now, like, you know, for years I thought about that. Anytime yeah. I was like questioning if what I was doing you know, wasn't the right thing to do or if somebody wasn't going to like it. It's like, well, so what? I mean, I feel like this is a big thing about DIY that I'm grateful for is that if if you're doing something that's weird, if you're doing something that's as unmarketable as what I'm doing or, you know, what so many people that I encounter are doing, if you're doing something that far out, you know, you see someone comes in and they set up for three hours and they attach the prosthetics to their body and then they build their (laughs) paper mache puppet or whatever. Like it doesn't matter what happens next. People know that you're doing it because you love it. And, and it's like when, when you hear a band, there's a question like, you know, does this hardcore band really mean it? Maybe there's some more behind the scenes info that would help you decide if if they love it or not, or like if their heart's in it. But when you hear something that's just really far out and bizarre, it's like the audience is a little bit more quick to grant you that like, all right, this person loves what they're doing, so I'm going to give them some attention. Totally. And I mean, that's the thing about, and I'm, you know, to be perfectly honest, I'm not, I mean, I'm not going to get on a high horse. I hope I haven't gone on a high horse yet. Um, but with, uh, with, um, the high, the non high, the not so high horse is, uh, oh yeah. Because if the music industry was still around today, I think there's a good chance whenever I'm, 
preparing my next song, my next band, I might be thinking to myself, like, what is going to appeal to the labels? Blah, 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 blah. But the fact that that's irrelevant today, the fact that that's beside the point, it doesn't enter my mind for a second. And I think it's the same way for a lot of other artists. I mean, I think that's my favorite thing about DIY right now. I mean, we're, I think we have the best music in, you know, in the history of, you know, the past hundred years at least going on because of this. I was um, gonna, we're gonna wrap up here shortly, but one of the things I want to wrap this up on is a point that I made earlier. Um, talking about like, what is DIY and like, where, where's the line drawn? And uh, for like, say that band that I mentioned before that maybe wants to be the Avenged Sevenfold type of band. Mm-hmm. Like that's not a band that can really get started on a DIY level, if that makes any sense. You know what I mean? Like those bands are like stadium rock bands. How do those bands start? It's feels like cause there's like a sort of uh, with the whole production of a live show. Like say, you know, you want to be the next, I don't know, Three Days Grace or whatever, mm-hmm. like X radio band. Uh, and, you know, and it's like big, huge rock. It's like that's not going to you're not going to find the audience that you want at Roboto. Sure. And it's like, how do you get the, where, where do it they doesn't. start? Well, the, I mean, do you start at like, I mean, bar shows? Like, is that still DIY? Like, I mean, what 10, is it? 15 years ago, there was, you know, 10 years ago, there was Avenged Sevenfold. Sure. There were also 30 <laughs> other bands that you never hear about that got the same deal that Avenged Sevenfold got. That's not going to happen for us anymore. Yeah, yeah. Like not in this music industry, never again. You're either going to be, Avenge Sevenfold, or you're not going to exist. There's no risks anymore from the music industry because they can't spare it, you know, let's be honest. And so, I mean, this is, I, 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 don't, I don't think that there's a, an answer for that. If you're seeking music to make music on that level, I mean, that's, that's great, you know. I mean, I, I hope you, you know, I, I hope you work out. I hope you like what you do, but <laughs> most likely you're probably just a skilled musician and, you know, you'll luck into it and I hope you stay humble. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just, it's, it's weird. You know, there's some people that, you know, I meet that uh, have a really hard time understanding why I still do what I do on the Mm -hmm. level that I do it. And it's like, well, I do it because, you know, I love it and I think I'm good at what I do and I'm having fun, Mm -hmm. you know, and for some people it just doesn't click. And I'm like, well, I guess we just don't connect. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I understand that. And there, there are ways, I think I've, I've learned enough ways to like, communicate to coworkers and whatnot to make it sound like what I'm doing is more <laughs> respectable than it is. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 It's, uh, yeah, there, there are, there are ways, uh, I don't feel like I get, I used to get a lot more, I'm from a family of musicians and even though my parents, my, my dad was in a touring band and he met my mom, but, uh, he was always just doing it for work. You know, they had a manager, he was in a disco cover band, you know what I mean? He was, that was work for him and he hated it. And, you know, and now they, you know, he plays wedding gigs and, and I mean, I do that too, quite frankly, I play weddings every weekend, uh, as a a violinist or operas or, you know, whatever, you know, hippie festivals where, you know, if the, if the money's there and you want to play me to pay me to play violin, heck yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm a professional musician. And so, I mean, I came into DIY with a little bit of 
you know, not an entrepreneurial sense in, in, in the slightest, but just, um, it was important to me to make enough to keep going. You know, I'm, I'm a professional musician. I was, and, and all these times where I guess you said I, you felt like I hit a roadblock or something. That's probably part of it is like, yo, I invested my whole life in this. Like I'm, I got to make this work. Yeah. And, you know, obviously I'm not making a living from grindcore alone, but when I come, you know, I, when I come back from tour, you know, I, I don't have to, you know, sell my shirt to pay my rent. Sure. Are you also kind of like maybe, I think a lot of people too, uh, ask me like, you know, I don't know how you do so much, you know? And sometimes my response that I want to give them is like, I don't know how you do so little, uh-huh. you know, it's just like, this is just all I do. And mm-hmm. it's not that hard. You can get a lot of shit done in a day if mm-hmm. you don't get lost in Netflix or video games or whatever other stuff. I mean, there's some cool stuff on Netflix and yeah. I like video games just as much as any other person. But it's like, for me, it's like the amount of time that I spend doing like video games is probably the amount of time other people might spend doing something creative. And that's mm-hmm. okay. But if they're complaining about not doing enough creative things, it's like, prioritize your time you know it just doesn't seem like you're the type of person that maybe has like like a video game hobby or anything like that maybe for you like the grindcore band or those other things end up being your hobbies in a way you know Mm -hmm. it's like you're a full-time musician and you have you know you're paying gigs and things like that but you know when you have free time you're still doing music but maybe the other things that are just more because you love doing it yeah, I don't really do much except for music, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that's for the best. You know, I should probably go to a gym or something or, you know, uh-huh. like figure out my taxes or, you know, <laughs> like clean my room. There's a lot of things I should be doing yeah, in life. Yeah, I find that, you know, I, I do a lot of different shit, but it's all revolved around music. Mm-hmm. You know, it's either, you know, I'm editing a video for something that's probably for one of my bands Mm -hmm. or I am doing some artwork, but it's probably for one of my bands or for one of my friends' bands. You know, it's all centered around that. I mean, I used to hear it all the time growing up from my dad and I hear, I, I, and then I would go on to hear it from friends who are professional musicians or music teachers. I'd, you know, be hanging out and be stoked about music and talking and they would be like, no man, like I get home from work. The last thing I want to do is listen to music. And I can't relate to that. (laughs) The only way that I could ever relate to that was there was a while when I had a house and uh, I had a big enough basement that I could record bands. I was mainly recording like other rappers and solo acts, but I did record a couple bands and it was just what I was doing. Mm-hmm. That was it. And it did get to a point when, you know, if I was tracking somebody for seven, eight hours sitting in front of a computer, they leave. It's like, oh, cool. I could work on my stuff. And then yeah. you look at the computer screen. It's like, <laughs> nope, I'm burned out. Yeah. You know? And then I eventually stopped doing it because yeah. it was like, you know, while getting paid to do this was great, the value that I like what I was losing by not feeling motivated to work on my own stuff. It was just like, it was too much. I feel that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think that, uh, we touched a lot of ground, covered a lot of things. We could probably wrap this up. Let's do it. You mentioned your band camp page before. Yeah. Let's throw it out there again. It's Joey Molinaro dot Joey, M-O-L-I-N-A-R-O 
Yeah, if you're listening to this, just look at the screen because it'll be spelled out. <laughs> yeah. Is there any other like links or things that you would like to direct people to? Google me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's got a website, joeymolinero.com. Haven't updated it in a minute. Uh, I'm, I'll be touring Europe again by motorcycle uh, June, July. Do so, you have any uh, like new music or anything? Any plan on releasing anything anytime soon? Yeah, I have a live album I recorded in Sweden, uh, and that's going to be coming out probably May. Okay. Any any uh, are you doing like a, I don't want to say like an official release, but are you? Well, is I'm, there any reason for holding on to it for? Yeah, that long? because I'm. Uh, it's a co-release with a New York label. Oh, okay, cool. And I mean, it's it's, they're, it's actually they gonna, gonna like, be, they're gonna like are they gonna manufacture it and stuff? I mean, really, I think the mostly what I'm gonna get from them is a, a bunch of reviews and okay. then so they have like a schedule buy x amount of yeah. things and, and and sell them. Yeah, totally. um, but it's just better than doing it by myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> like no, yeah. If you can if you can find anybody to help with that kind of mm-hmm. stuff, it's definitely definitely crucial. So yeah. Uh, I think I will do my outro and then that'll be it. All right, Brian. And that is all folks. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Joey, again, thank you for letting me come over to your place, the tea and the great conversation. I'll be back again next week with another, another, uh, I'll be back again next week with another episode same time same place same channel you know the drill my name is sykes start the beat 2017 whoop woo you want to give him a whoop woo whoop woo thanks for listening <laughs> cool that was great <laughs>